Hey friends, I hope this finds you well wherever you are. I appreciate you listening. I really do. I should probably get on a regular podcasting service sometime as I find this format fits me better than doing solo videos, but I'm going to stick with this for now. I only have to do time to do so much and I'd rather develop content than be my own producer. But I'm sitting here today talking with you because there's been a few newsworthy things erupting in the counter-trafficking world lately, and not good news either. Probably most of you will not have heard about any of this, but it's making me so mad I need to do a podcast about it. It's important because even though you may not have heard about it, the consequences impact the anti-trafficking movement as a whole. A few of my colleagues and I have been emailing and texting over what's been emerging over the last several weeks. Now that the proverbial poop has hit the air circulator, so to speak, it's time to talk more about it. The news I'm talking about is an open letter to the Exodus Road organization that was published on Medium.com a couple weeks ago. Then, last week, an article about the dubious operations of the organization Operation Underground Railroad came out, which followed up an article published in December last year about the same organization. I'm also going to discuss another organization that's not making the news now, but highlights some of the same kinds of problems the first two organizations present, only this one is a Thai organization. Lastly, I'm going to wrap up and bring it back to you. As donors or volunteers or advocates or other interested people and discuss some features about how you can do a better job of due diligence regarding the support you give to counter-trafficking organizations. Now, the news. What happened? Who are these organizations and what did they do? So both the Exodus Road and Operation Underground Railroad are so-called raid and rescue organizations, meaning that they are mainly focused on rescuing girls who are victims of sex trafficking. They're usually carrying out operations in developing countries. So I want to say out front that the buying and selling of children is an abomination, but that doesn't mean I think it's okay for rich guys to play cowboy in foreign countries, even if they do collaborate with local law enforcement, which is not always the case. I don't agree with the way that these organizations run their operations. There are ways to help that are safe and appropriate, and there are the tactics that these organizations are using. So first, about Operation Underground Railroad, or O-R-U, O-U-R. The two articles in Vice uh, that I read highlight these issues, and I'm summarizing here. The links are all posted below, and I encourage you to read them, but pour yourself a long drink first. They are lengthy. The first problematic issue relates to OUR's treatment of stories of their beneficiaries, exaggerating their involvement in a rescue, continued involvement in the case, and the aftercare. This is inconsistent storytelling at best, fabricating stories, Fabricating stories is worse. They are telling stories that are not theirs to tell and putting them, putting them, the rescuers, at the center, making them the heroes of the story instead of the survivor. That's just gross. Another issue is the ongoing legal investigation in the state of Utah regarding their less than transparent and questionable bookkeeping and maybe fraudulently raising funds and spending them in ways other than what they claim. Thirdly, they invite high-paying donors and pretty much almost anyone willing to join their so-called jump teams for rescues. According to the Vice article, their preparation is almost a joke. 
These would rightly be serious missions with potential for loss of life or limb and can be traumatizing to the survivors, but they treat it like they're Liam Neeson in some movie called Taken. Furthermore, the raids are sometimes accompanied by film crews, and then it becomes entertainment and not about lives in the balance. They're playing Liam Neeson again. This is disgusting showmanship, not respectful or dignified to the survivors and does not help the organizations who are earnestly trying to extract children from truly horrific situations. I also remember when Nicholas Kristof pulled off this same stunt and live tweeted through a raid in Cambodia. It's re-exploitation of the exploited. According to the article, it was questionable whether OUR's operations were 100% legal 100% of the time. I wouldn't be surprised about this. I've heard of several of these types of raid and rescue NGOs operating underground for various reasons that just don't hold water. There's no excuse. You're in the country, work with their laws and their law enforcement. So what happens when you have organizations like Operation Underground Rescue using dubious tactics, incomplete investigations, and sensationalized raids? What pisses people off, for one, It harms the people they are trying to help by making entertainment and money out of their trauma. It can also re-traumatize them. These shenanigans can raise the expectations of donors who expect similar treatment or at least a voyeuristic tour through a brothel or a safe house or expect more of a hands-on experience than is ethically or their right to demand. There's also the problematic of the intersection of prostitution and sex trafficking. There is a difference between human trafficking and prostitution. That is something everyone agrees on, the anti-trafficking people and the pro-sex work people alike. But there's a lot of tension between the pro-sex work lobby and the anti-sex trafficking movement because a lot of the anti-trafficking movement is also largely anti-prostitution. But there are orgs who say that all prostitution is slavery and this promotes this polarization. I'm not going to talk about the differences and nuances of that topic. There's books on this, and that's for another time. But it does play into this thread. To be clear, I'm not pro-prostitution. Sex work is not work. But I also don't think that all prostitution is trafficking or slavery. And I do not think that raiding brothels to rescue prostitutes, even if they are trafficked, helps anyone. That's kidnapping, not rescuing. But what happens is that pro-prostitution organizations will then lump all anti-sex trafficking NGOs into one lump and cry foul saying that the anti-trafficking organizations are hurting them and hurting the women and infringing on the rights of sex workers and they should stop this work. You know, that's the problem that arises in this Vice article. They highlight the opinions of Empower, a pro-sex work organization in Thailand, What the shenanigans of OUR do is provide fodder for these organizations to say that all anti-sex trafficking orgs are hurtful to women or men or trans in sex work. But when anti-human trafficking work is carried out in a dignified and respectful way, this is not true. I'm just going to leave it there because otherwise this goes down to tangent and I don't want to go there right now. I want to stay on the current topic, but uh, we'll come back to that and I'll... uh, Perhaps do another podcast about that. So let's discuss the Exodus Road, or TER. 
The Exodus Road is also a raid and rescue type of organization, and they have had their own issues of inviting rich and influential donors such as Major League Baseball player Adam LaRoche getting to play Cowboy Rescuer with them. But that's not the focus of my rant with them today. There's something much more sinister to this organization. I had known about these accusations for a while now, but now we're free to discuss because an open letter has been published on Medium.com. The letter describes many despicable and shocking acts. There's been physical and sexual assault of a staff member by other staff members at a staff retreat funded by donor contributions. The perpetrators were not punished and their positions in the organization are funded by donations. Thai staff were maligned and forced to work with known sex offenders and were subjected to racist and sexist remarks. Thai staff were also forced to cover up financial misconduct, including embezzlement, forgery, and false reporting. Well, the Thai staff reported anyway and uh, is leading investigation. So there's more deplorables, and I quote, The practice of using donor dollars to attend sex shows where no active investigation work is being done, to receive private in-room massages where no active investigation work is being done, and to frequent brothels where no active investigation is being done is re-exploitation of the boys, girls, and women made vulnerable in those settings as well as a gross misuse of the funds entrusted to them. So according to this letter, these patterns and events have led to the following actions. An FBI inquiry and source interviews concerning the internal operations of TER, a formal report of sexual misconduct filed with TER leadership and board of directors, a formal report of sexual assault filed with the Thai police, Thai court case ruling in favor of the Thai country director, accounts of misconduct shared publicly and among foreign employees and volunteers, and this open letter. So what can I say, my friends? Be careful. I mean, the Exodus Road has even been listed by GuideStar, which is a nonprofit that rates and provides information on other nonprofits, receiving GuideStar's platinum seal of transparency for financials. So unfortunately, even when you try to do your homework on organizations, you can still not know all what's going on. And I met Matt Laura Parker in, in Chiang Mai. We discussed some collaboration opportunities that didn't work out. But I don't really know them. I don't know if these are just sick people or if they're vulnerable people turned sick by working in this diabolical milieu. Or, you know, if so, that's talk about self-care not going right. But really, it can get to you. But this, I have no idea what's going on. But I do have some other friends that are deeply, deeply hurt by this and are still recovering. The third organizations I'm going to discuss is the Children's Organization of Southeast Asia, or COSA. It's a not-for-profit organization headed by Mickey Tuteza that was based in Northern Thailand. It was dedicated to preventing the sex trafficking of young girls by providing shelters, schools, scholarships, etc. to girls at risk for being trafficked. And I say was because, yeah, it went down a couple years ago. Unfortunately for the girls... Uh, the families and the donors, this was a sham, and the story emerged through the work of a documentary film team and others. This is an award-winning film, and I encourage you to see it. It's really fascinating. 
So the blurb from the website about the documentary states that they were, quote, exploring the dark side of child advocacy. We follow the mystery of two Thai girls whose parents supposedly sold them into sex work only to discover that the story was a lie fabricated by the advocate who claims to have rescued them. The girls decide to fight back to reclaim their identities despite the risk of losing everything. So basically, these filmmakers were there to do a documentary about COSA in favor of COSA, but they started interviewing the girls and the families and their story, um, and that didn't match with Mickey's story. So Mickey was making up stories about how these girls were victimized and sexually abused and trafficked in order to raise literally millions of dollars. And so when the girls and families found out, they were devastated. I mean, can you imagine? Additionally, other financial inconsistencies and misconduct were exposed. And so Mickey faces lawsuits in Thailand, and I believe he's still a fugitive at large. So when I was in Chiang Mai, I was introduced to Mickey by some COSA volunteers, and we connected to discuss uh, possible partnering on projects. I knew some people who used to work there and and who knew about his work, so I checked with them first, and good thing I did because their message to me was stay away from Mickey. So I never got involved working with them, and so that's good. But here, we've got these dreadful stories. What to do? What can we do as donors? And I'm telling you this because I'm really, this really ticks me off because it, it hurts Um, It hurts the work that I'm trying to do. It erodes the integrity of the anti-trafficking movement. It stains the perception towards the fantastic work that most of the grassroots organizations I know about are doing. Now, no organization is perfect or above reproach. It's important to make sure that NGOs are continuing on an ethical and responsible path. And I'm going to outline about, you know, give you some pointers and some criteria to follow. You know, another thing that hurts the movement are the conspiracy theories that can roll through this um, movement. I'm sure it's easy to fall into that when you have children, transnational crime networks, pedophiles, and sex rolled up together. I discussed this earlier in podcast eight, but you know, how, how can donors or how can volunteers or how can people who want to volunteer their time or actually go to work for an organization um, do some research. How can they know this is legit and good? It's really hard to evaluate the quality of organization, or it can be, but it's no excuse not to. It's a lazy excuse. So how to do due diligence? You know, what is due diligence? You know, basically it's research and analysis of a company, or in this case, an organization that's done in preparation for a transaction or agreement or finding a job, or whatever, or donation. You know, these days, some NGOs do due diligence on their donors to make sure they aren't being funded by people with the likes of Jeffrey Epstein. But for our purposes here, it's when businesses, churches, foundations, individuals, or other entities research worthy nonprofits, causes, or individuals in order to receive their funding. I've heard of times where funds were diverted from worthy organizations to a different organization that had a more savvy and sexy marketing campaign. Basically, it seems like those donors just went for the splash and flash because I know both the losing 
and the receiving organizations, and the loser was the one that was more sound and ethical. And that's, that, that really made me mad. So I'm going to talk a bit about what donors can do to make sure that their funding organizations that are ethical have a healthy organizational culture, don't exploit their beneficiaries or misuse or misappropriate funds. We can be biased about our causes and our organizations, and this can cloud our judgment and our ability to objectively evaluate and ultimately can compromise our resolution to do the right thing and cut off funds when it's the right thing to do. There are organizations like GuideStar, Candide, Charity Navigator, and other guides and websites to help you. But these can leave out a lot of smaller grassroots organizations, but they'll still offer some helpful criteria. Not every organization is perfect. I know I have made loads of mistakes along the way and will continue to make mistakes. But what's important is that the organization will be teachable. Are they ethical? Are they transparent? Are they responsible? But what do these characteristics mean in a practical way? What, I mean, what does it look like to be teachable or transparent, responsible? And I'm going to go through a brief list of criteria to consider. And you should feel free to ask your organization hard questions if you want to understand more. So first of all, in light of the organizations I've discussed today, Let's talk about if the organization has a rescue in their name or a rescue MO, you know, how are they doing the rescues? Are they doing the rescues under the authority of local law enforcement? Are they tweeting them or broadcasting them? How do they take care of the people that they have rescued? You know, if the organization is a sort of raid and rescue type, if I just as I've described, and you need to look really carefully, I think. So what is, second of all, what is the scope of work? You know, what are they doing? Are they qualified to be doing the work that they're doing? Are they actually doing the work that they say they're doing? Or are they promoting a lot of sensationalized content to draw attention? Another, another good thing to look at is the treatment and presentation of beneficiaries. Is it ethical? Is it dignified? Is it empowering? Uh, do you know about the ethical storytelling pledge? I should tell you about the ethical storytelling pledge and the link will be below, but basically it's something that signs that the organization has committed to not re-exploiting their beneficiaries. You know, or is the organization parading survivors around to do talks and raise money? This is not always a bad thing or wrong thing, but sometimes the survivors can feel exploited and used. What is the image and overall branding message of the organization? You know, this can reflect their treatment or at least the attitude towards beneficiaries. Are they perpetuating the trope of weak victimhood or are they empowering the people they want to serve? You know, there is a ton more to say about this topic, but here again, uh, another podcast, um, in the works. So another issue to, to ask about is the transparency of funds. Where does their funding come from to determine possible conflicts of interest? Kind of like what we do with big pharma funding, medical research or medical education or big oil funding, environmental studies. You know, how is the organization using the funds? You know, can you trace it to direct benefit? Now, 
I want to say that operational costs and staff salaries are totally legitimate. We need to pay for office rent and supplies and transportation and other things that help to make the organization run smooth. You know, there's also nothing wrong with with team building retreats and the like, but, you know, they should really be able to account for those funds. One important uh, topic is, is the organization devoted to continuing education of all the staff and volunteers? Are they continually being upskilled and equipped to do the hard jobs that they're doing? Does the organization demonstrate continued learning and development of interventions and techniques based on new information and cutting-edge research? Is the organization open to constructive criticism? Do they take suggestions and guidance for improvement? Are they teachable? I mean, are they learning from past mistakes? You know, I'm not perfect. No organization is not is perfect, but but I'm improving and I'm continuing to open for guidance. Is the organization collaborating with NGOs or are they just sort of existing as some island doing their work all by themselves? You know, by working together, we can do better by synergizing our strengths and trying not to do things outside of our zone of competence. You know, are they participating in networks, conferences, and promoting continuing education and training of staff? Are they assisting other organizations in the work that they do? Are they generous in sharing resources, wisdom, and know-how with other organizations? Is monitoring and evaluation a part of their strategic plan? What about child protection policy or other safety policies? You know, this is not an exhaustive list, but you get the idea. There should be this pattern of openness and growth and transparency and collaboration. So in conclusion, I want to say that by far the majority of counter-trafficking organizations are doing just fine and doing good work. Yes, we could all be doing our jobs a bit better, and some need more help in some areas, but hopefully we're not making these moral and ethical disasters um, that I've described today. You know, I know it can be easy to get caught up in the emotion and drama of these issues. It can be hard to take care of ourselves, and it's really hard to raise money all the time. Our work is hard enough as it is, but it doesn't help to have to deal with the fallout of these deplorable organizations. We could use the help of our donors to support all the work, not just the sexy parts. If an organization you like is lacking an area, don't fault them for it or withdraw funding immediately unless it's, you know, a, an egregious moral error. Well, why not offer to fund whatever it takes to get them up to snuff? Work with the organizations. Fund the essential things that they need to keep their staff and their beneficiaries healthy. I hope this was helpful for you. I'm sure it was thought-provoking and enlightening. Hopefully you learned something. Thanks so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share. If you have a question or a comment, please share below. I really want to hear from you. Thanks all. Have a great day.